Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. It's Anya here, and today we're going to interview Dr. Vidya Krishnan. Dr. Krishnan is a child psychiatrist who deals with different mental health issues. In the spirit of National Suicide Prevention Month, this episode will focus on what the different causes of suicide are and how it can be prevented. In this world, many people, children and adults, have suicidal thoughts. In the past, it was a topic that many people were afraid to talk about, but I think that openly discussing it helps others deal with their thoughts and emotions. In recent years, Schools and families have become more concerned about mental health and its effect on young adults, which has helped many people cope with their stress and feelings. Getting help should be the first thing one should do if in a situation like this. Now let's go on with the interview. Dr. Krishnan, can you please tell me more about yourself? Hi, Anya. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Dr. Vidya Krishnan, like Anya introduced me. Um, I'm a child adolescent and adult psychiatrist, and I've been in practice in the community for over 10 to 15 years. Um, primarily, I'm the chief psychiatrist and medical director at the Children's Health Council in Palo Alto, and I also work closely with the Stanford University School of Medicine, where I train fellows in child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, thank you again. Thank you for introducing yourself. I really appreciate that you're here. Now, let's go on with the interview. So the first question is, What age group has the highest suicide rate and why? Looking at the CDC data, which is the most recently published information, and they keep updating this, the people with the greatest risk of suicide is people over the age of 85 years. Um, The second most common group are bunched up together, I would say, are people between the ages of 25 and 55. They're all a close second in that particular bunch. Um, The reason for why each of these groups has higher risks of suicide is kind of varied. And as we go further into the interview and discuss the various individual, relational, and community factors that influence a person's um, thinking and action into suicidal thoughts and feelings, um, it will be easier to understand what factors go into making it so in each of these different ages. Okay, next question. What are the main causes of suicide? As I was just saying in the previous answer, there is no one particular cause for suicide. It's a very variety of causes that combine together to make um, a person think about suicidal thoughts or even follow along on suicidal actions. And broadly speaking, we usually divide these into individual factors, relational factors and societal or community or cultural factors. Um, Most common individual risk factor for suicide is a person who's actually attempted suicide at some point in the past. And after that come a bunch of mental health illnesses, which can increase a person's risk of suicidality, particularly here represented are major mood disorders like depression and bipolar disorder, major anxiety disorders like general anxiety and OCD, uh, and major psychotic disorders like schizophrenia. But besides that, uh, many medical conditions can also make a person at a higher risk for suicidal 
um, thinking and actions, chronic pain can do it. And another one, which is very, very common, but sometimes overlooked is substance use disorders, uh, you know, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, or other pills um, that can increase the risk of suicidality among the other individual risk factors also include things that people may have experienced in their life, um, like early childhood trauma, and um, those, those can definitely be other individual factors. Relational factors I want to bring up, particularly is two, two one. One of them is bullying, which is not uncommonly a thing that we hear or see, whether it's an individual in-person bullying or cyberbullying can definitely have that uh, kind of an effect on a person but also loss of relationships, right? Breakups and or death of a significant person in one's life can cause uh, um, this um, high-risk, violent or traumatic relationship, high-conflict relationship, domestic violence, emotional verbal abuse, and social isolation, loneliness. And community factors-wise is many of those uh, go with factors around identity and connection with other people. So now that we've talked about these various factors, it is easy to see how some of these can connect together to make a person over the age of 85 kind of move in this direction between the 25 to 55 year old age range um, have a higher risk of suicide. The next question is, what is self-harm and how is that different from suicide? So very commonly, we also rename self-harm as non-suicidal self-injurious behavior. And that is a self-explanatory term where a person is harming themselves in a wide variety of ways, but the intent is not to kill or hurt oneself in a permanent manner. And that is the main difference between what we in short form call self-harm versus suicidality, where the intent is to kill or hurt oneself permanently. Okay. Another question, what changes do we need to make in our lives to help prevent suicide? In terms of the changes one needs to make in our life, I think the central philosophy is to build a life worth living, right? You want to feel a sense of um, hope, a sense of future, a sense of something to look forward to, whatever those things might mean. And you can broadly divide um, these changes in one's life um, into short-term, medium-term, and kind of long-term. The short-term things are things we do on a daily basis, taking really good care of oneself, sleeping well, eating healthily, exercising, um, an adequate amount to um, increase health and well-being, um, and then uh, thinking of things around substance use and what kinds of impacts they have on our life on a day-to-day -day basis, especially on our mental health. And if you struggle with any mental health issue and under, are under the care of somebody like a doctor or a physician of some sort, any recommendations that they make, whether it is to um, be on some medicines or seek therapy are all immediate kinds of things one can go. Um, medium term things I'm thinking of are things we do, right? Um, engaging with one's family, being a part of one's school community where you have peers and other people that you are connected to and you're part of various affiliation groups after school activities, community involvement or engagement, um, and uh, in similarly engagement in one's work, job, school, education, one's own health and well-being uh, are all middle-term factors, basically looking at the main areas of life that are important for a person. The long-term things are related to things one thinks of. I want to do this. I want to achieve this. I want to connect with this person. 
I want to, you know, finding ways in which one reaches out and becomes an involved part of the community, whether that is in terms of self-fulfillment of things that we do, or in terms of giving back to the community in some way, shape or form can really be very fulfilling and make one feel very connected. And all of these are things um, one can do to be able to um, um, build that life worth living. On to the next question. What more can schools do to help students deal with suicidal thoughts and prevent suicides? Um, all of us, one of the common misconceptions around suicide, which I think prevents many times well-meaning teachers, adults, school, family members even, from being able to reach out and support someone in distress really is with this misconception that asking about suicidality or suicidal thoughts or self-harm is going to put these thoughts into someone's head. You know, I, I having done this job for a long time, if there's one thing that I know, a person who's struggling in this manner, by the time you come to know that they are struggling, they have been thinking these things for a very, very long period of time already. You are not putting thoughts in your head. Um, so I think the bi-directional way that schools or other people who well-meaning adults, again, can help and support, number one is through education, right? Making sure people know the, the statistics around suicide, how to recognize and identify someone in distress, and making means available to reach out so that everybody can identify the signs and teaching people how they can take care of themselves, like the questions you asked earlier. On the second side, basically, is providing, once we teach people what suicide is and when we teach them how to take care of themselves, when we uh, let them know this, that doesn't automatically mean now these thoughts are gonna go away or nobody's going to struggle. So on the second side, making sure readily accessible, trusted individuals are available either among the peer network, either among the teachers or through dedicated um, mental health uh, staff in the school system, having all of these people be ready and able to support someone in distress would be super helpful to be either to let their family know or to connect them to resources in the community or also in terms of making available to them information that is out there. You know, the internet has a lot of good information. It has some not so good information. There's a lot of good information and the schools can help distinguish digitally what is the most um, meaningful way to seeking help that actually will alleviate distress rather than um, support ongoing mental health challenges through communities where that is propagated. Now for a very important question. What can one do if they know someone who is suicidal? It depends. And the reason I say it depends is depends on the age and stage of the person, right? The answer will be very different if say someone comes to you, Anya, with this problem or question as compared to someone who comes to me. So I think that is an important distinction one needs to make. The good thing to remember is there is a lot of resources in the community and it is always helpful if someone comes to a young person, it's a friend or a cousin or a family member who's young and in distress, the first thing one needs to know is, I know adults want to help us. I think we should take this to someone who can be able to support us. And I, I am happy to come with you to share this if you are afraid or scared of doing this alone, because I know there is help out there. And that is really important to say, but if someone is reluctant, connecting them with community-wide available crisis text lines or crisis helplines 
would be super, super important and keeping those numbers or information accessible and available, which is something that many schools can also do is making sure everybody in the community, school community has a knowledge of these numbers. So if someone comes to you in distress, you're able to be, okay, let's call them together because I may not be able to um, fix whatever is going on, but I know other people who can. Um, and sometimes being that person who holds the hand is, is the most meaningful thing you can do. But if it's somebody else who's an adult, the response will depend on the immediacy of the risk. If someone is saying, I am going to, I'm, I'm so distressed that I am wanting to hurt myself, say right now, the answer would be, we need to get urgent attention here, urgent medical attention or urgent psychiatric or mental health attention. And sometimes that might mean things like bringing in a crisis team or a mobile crisis uh, group of people who can talk and figure out what's going on and then redirect somebody accordingly the nationwide impulse right now is to use the 988 crisis line, which basically brings urgent mental health help to somebody in acute distress. And it is the parallel to the 911 system that we have for mental health crisis. And anybody, any age, any stage of life can call. It's simple, free, and 24-7 access to a live person. So it's not that it's going nowhere. As compared on the other side, if someone is struggling and they've had these thoughts, but it is not something they want to act on right away, that might bring up a very different type of response pattern where connecting them to uh, the school counselor or somebody else who can assess the situation and making resources, if it's a family member or if it's another kind of an adult, um, reaching out to one's pediatrician or looking for a therapist or looking for a psychiatrist in the community um, may all be various ways in which we bring a group of caring members who forms a care team around this person to figure out what's going on and how help can be made available. In your opinion, why do you think some people think that being suicidal makes someone weak? There's many reasons why. The two common ones I have encountered, one is that people feel that when someone is suicidal, um, trying to strongly motivate them out of that, you know, like the way you would motivate um, in say a sport or something like that, saying, you know, you need to go like almost like you need to fight this enemy. And the only way to fight this enemy is make oneself stronger. And if you're not able to do that, your weak is, so sometimes it comes from that misguided attempt to try to help somebody. So they're not, they're well-meaning and they think if I puff you up to be as strong as possible to stand up to the suicide, um, then that is going to help you to overcome this and change your thoughts. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work because this is a person who's in distress, already feeling that they are at the lowest of the low. And when someone else points out that they're weak and they're not able to stand out to the suicidal bully that is out there, it makes them feel worse and actually move in that direction further, unfortunately. The other reason why I've sometimes heard people say they're weak is they themselves may never have experienced this. And in their mind, they may be thinking, yeah, you know, um, I've never thought of this. I've had lots of hard things happen in my life and I never think of, um, you know, killing myself. So why is this person, the only reason why that might be happening is because they're weak and that comes from a place of ignorance. So, so either it, in both ways, uh, either it from ignorance or well-meaning methods of, of encouragement to somebody but unfortunately, neither of those things work very well. A person who is in distress needs our empathy and needs our support and needs someone to stand with them and provide 
validation and, uh, and help. Do you think meeting a psychiatrist is the best way someone with suicidal thoughts can get help? Not necessarily. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because as you looked at the list, um, there is many, many ways or reasons um, a person may have suicidal thoughts. And it is not necessarily that everybody in that list or that group needs a psychiatrist's help. But I think when I, when I hear this question, in my mind, I replace the word psychiatrist with a helping person of some sort, right? It can be any person who has the knowledge, who has the wherewithal, who has the time, energy, and the training to be able to support someone in this situation. And But what you make is a really good point, which is that if this is something very serious. We don't take this lightly when someone has these thoughts because these thoughts can turn into action very easily or very quickly. And reaching out beyond oneself to a trained professional of sorts is really, really important. And getting there as quickly as possible can be very critical. Who are some other people a person with suicidal thoughts can get help from? For example, a school counselor. Right. Um, I would say literally anybody, right? Sometimes, sometimes the person you reach out to is the person who's going to help you. Like you said, I think you said school counselor, a therapist, a social worker, a pediatrician. Um, it could be a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner. It could be any, a, a nurse. It could be anybody with some form of medical and mental health training. And those people may be in a position to directly help you. But that being said, I would say that reach out and speak to anybody you can trust. I think that is the most important thing because sometimes opening up to a stranger is really, really hard, especially about something that's so personal and so um, that, that people, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of stigma around this. So people don't talk about this very much. And the reason I say reach out to someone trusted is and they can be a bridge to reach out to the people who can be helped. Whether that person is a sibling, a friend, um, a cousin, an aunt, a neighbor, um, a school teacher, um, or, or it could be someone at the other end of a crisis line uh, that you feel much more comfortable reaching out to rather than a family member or a relative of sorts. And then they can do that next step that we talked about. So it, the idea is reach out to anybody. Um, I would say anything that involves, we don't want to do nothing. That's the most important thing here. Now for the last question. What are some helpful resources that our listeners can look into for suicide prevention? I will go through the resources similar to the way we talked about the risk factors. And I think coming back to day-to-day -day practices, right? Having certain men mental health day-to-day -day practices are really good, right? Um, I said, I mean, making sure you eat well through the course of the day to be able to keep your brain and body nourished and as healthy as possible. Um, for you know, maintaining good sleep habits are really important. There are some good apps out there that help support um, in terms of um, sleep. Uh, particularly, I've I've used a couple of them which offer sleep-based support. Uh, one of them is Calm, and the other one is called Headspace, which many people might be using. They also help manage you know distress or anxiety or help us kind of cope with stressful things that happen in our life. Um, so there are those online tools. The other one also is called um, Calm Harm, which is basically something that people who have urgent suicidal thoughts or self-harm thoughts will sometimes use. And it uses the, like the five or the 15 second rule, which is basically that um, if I do something, right, if I'm having a strong urge for something, doesn't matter what it is, right, this minute, 
if I spend 15 seconds doing a bunch of other things, hopefully that distraction and the benefit it brings to my body and the mind will be such that the acuity of those thoughts in that 15 seconds will reduce significantly enough that you are in a better position to be able to reach out and get help. And there are lots of apps that actually help support what you can do in that 15 minute window, right? There are also mindfulness-based uh, resources out there. One of my favorite free mindfulness-based resources is the um, uh, Mindfulness and Relaxation Center, which is done, which is by UCLA. It's called Mark, and it's free to use. It's got multiple uh, audio files of various body and mind relaxation activities a person can do. All of these are various online digital type of tools. I also mentioned the crisis hotline, the 988 for people in acute crisis, which we kind of talked about. The other things are there are a lot of local organizations that also do a lot of work in this area. Uh, safe, safe Space is a common one in the area. Um, the Herd Alliance does a lot of work in suicide prevention as well as support groups around this. Um, the other one that also not commonly people reach out is many schools have peer-to-peer -peer training where certain peers in your school can actually to do mental health support for other people in the community and they're identified. So everybody in the school knows, oh, I can go to person A or B because they have had this training and they can support me. Um, and there's one thing, I don't know if, how familiar it is, but if you are someone who's desirous of supporting another person in mental health distress or crisis, no matter what age or stage of life you are in, there is something called as mental health first aid which is very similar to the first aid or C basic CPR that a person learns for physical health, which talks you through the various steps in helping somebody through a mental health crisis. And all of these have really solid means um, of providing resources that one can easily and readily access. Well, that concludes this interview. Thank you again, Dr. Krishnan, for agreeing to be interviewed. We just want everyone to know that if you're struggling with any mental health condition and having suicidal thoughts, you should not hide them and get help as soon as possible. And there are many ways to get help and support. The more awareness there is about suicide and how to prevent it, the more help we can give to those who are struggling and prevent this major leading cause of death. You're listening to Mindful, Beautiful and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every Friday, so make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thank you so much for listening.